I get the privilege of introducing our uh, our guest speaker today, Travis Aiklin. Um Travis is a is a great guy. Actually, if you saw that picture, the sticker on that guy's bicycle helmet said Jesus is rad. That's the kind of sticker that you would find on Travis's um van. Is <laughs> He's got like a Dodge van that kind of looks like those old VW vans. Um, and Travis also, he's, he, he and his family are from California. Um, Travis surfs. So I'm trying to put him in a box. And this is like his favorite thing is to, to be stereotyped. <laughs> um, but Travis and Tiffany are in a uh, part of California called Visalia. He leads a church there called Radiant Church, and they've got five wonderful daughters who are with them this morning. Um, these guys love Jesus a ton. They lead a vibrant church uh, that's just a blast to be be with. Um, had the privilege to be there a few years back. And Travis has been here with us before, and we're happy to have him back. He also helps lead the family of churches that we're a part of. So the Confluence family of churches, Travis is one of the guys that gathers with the leaders there and so we're grateful for his um, perspective and his input his heart and love for Jesus uh, will be clear to you this morning so you guys want me to or want to help me welcome Travis we're currently driving an RV to the east coast and we stopped in Joplin. I spent most of my year just daydreaming about leaving California. <laughs> Lane stereotyped us as like the typical Californians, but our part of California has more in common with the Midwest than it does with San Francisco. So we feel real at home here. And it's been interesting to describe our route to people because I... I bought an RV. That RV, of course, needed work, and I spent much of the year working on it. So people were asking us, where are you going, you know? And so I would describe kind of what we're going to do, how long we're going to do it, but I'd start by saying, you know, we're headed to Vegas, and like, okay. Then we're going to the Grand Canyon, of course. Then we're headed to uh, Moab, Utah, to go to the Arches National, oh, great choice. Then we'll cut over to Denver, Uh uh-huh. Then to Joplin. Okay. (laughs) And I've had to make a a case for Joplin. (laughs) Defend it on my route. I've been like, well, you you may know about the Grand Canyon, but you don't know about Lynn Fleshman. And (laughs) we're... And you don't know about Christ Church and... We, we love, we love Joplin. We do. And, uh, so it's like, it's a, it's a spot on our tour. We, we want to be here. And, uh, and a lot of that has to do with this church that we feel connected to. And really, uh, Tim and Mary have come out. We let Tim and Mary shape our church and, and culture as, as much as they can. They are loved, uh, in our church. There's something real hippie about them that works in California. And so, uh, my, my whole church is, is pretty young too, and is probably looking for mothers and fathers, so they all gather around Tim and Mary and make them tell us stories about 
I don't know, having kids at home or <laughs> goats or, <laughs> you know, living in a sea train. These are all, this is like folklore in Visalia, Tim and Mary Chambers. So we, we like love them. So yeah, the Joplin and, uh, just love the people in this place and love the Clevengers. And so I'm also here to kick off a series, uh, from the book of Exodus. Jerron said, Hey, why don't you speak? And I'd shared some of this stuff before with him. And when Jerron says, I think that's good. You're like, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I think it's good. And I'm like, yeah, me too. I, I think it's solid content as well. Um, so when you get a compliment from Jerron on your preaching, you're like, yeah. So anyway, I'm feeling good about this. Um, and I, I more than, I think the sermon is good. I think it's good that you guys lean into the book of Exodus, this book, this story, at this time. I think it's perfect that you're leaning into it. So I'm just going to introduce um, uh, the book of Exodus and share some things because I've been reflecting on the book of Exodus for the last uh, few months as, as well. So I just want to show you some things that I'm seeing. And I'm calling this sermon a God-appointed wilderness. And I'll, I'll share um, almost entirely on the, the wilderness and why the people of God need the, the wilderness. Uh, of course, I hope this is a God-appointed wilderness and not just a wilderness of your own dumb doing. And I don't know the difference. I don't totally know when it becomes a wilderness because of something stupid you've done or, or where where that... I mean, I think it can be both. I think that's what I've decided. I just don't know where the line is. Um, so I want us to help I want to help you understand the role of the wilderness. And of course, I'm suggesting that we've been in something of a wilderness. And I think I'll make that case um, right from the get. And I think you'll see yourself uh, in this story. But I'm hoping to do a few things. The first is, um, I want us to have language for some of the groans that we've been experiencing. I, I haven't had words, and I think when we find words for what we're going through, we also find connection and community. And so I want to put language to some of the groans that I think we've we've had in the last um, few months. And I, I also want to say that there's precedent for what we keep saying is unprecedented. Um, which is, is comforting. I spent the whole first half of 2020, it's, it's unprecedented, you know, and then I'm like, wait a second, maybe for me. So hopefully you have that moment today. And then lastly, um, I just want to make sure we're living into the right story. It's so important, the story that you tell yourself, the story that you're living into, kind of the arc of human history. It's so important that you're telling the right story. And the Exodus story is our story. It didn't just happen to them back then. It's happening to us. And we find ourselves in that story. So of course, the Israelites were delivered and did wander the wilderness. And that story will be described by Jerron, you know, better than I'm about to uh, frame it right now. But 
This did happen to them, but then the rest of Scripture seems to suggest that this will happen to us. That this is something that happens to the people of God, period. So the Exodus story is our story. The Exodus story simply broken down is the people of God pursuing safety and security in Egypt. And then Egypt becoming a place of captivity and bondage. And then God stepping in and delivering them through these crazy fireworks. And then they're delivered straight into the promised land. No, they're delivered into the wilderness for quite some time. And then they finally enter the promised land. And at this point, I could hand the mic off to anyone in this room who follows Jesus, who would say, I was pursuing security in something at a young age. I thought if I had this, then I'd have what I need. But then that thing that I thought was going to bring security brought me captivity. It was like a womb that became a tomb because I stayed too long. And then God delivered me through fireworks. But he delivered me into some wandering that's been going on for quite some time. And I'm still contending for the promised land. Hopefully everyone at this point is like, yeah, that's my story. That's it. It's our story. And if we've learned anything this year, we've learned that it's really important, the story you're living into. Story eats science for lunch. Dare I say trumps it. No, no, no. I'm a science guy. No, you're not. You're really not. You're a science guy. Or sorry, you're, you're a story guy. And you're looking for science to support your story. That's, that's what we've learned. Story's huge. Trump's data. Data's dead. We find data, science, to support the story that we're telling ourselves. And it's really important that we live into the right story. Jesus had some time in the wilderness. He had some time in the desert. And you know what story he was living into? The Exodus story. The story about what God would be doing. That's what he was quoting incessantly as he was in the desert. So hopefully this story gets in you. And we live into this story. Instead of some of the other things we've been telling ourselves. So, for starters, I'll use wilderness and desert interchangeably. Because the scriptures use them interchangeably. It also uses words like deserted place, desolate place, solitary place, quiet place, lonely place, all the same place. And so we may dance between these. And obviously when we talk about the desert or the wilderness uh, that we're in, I'm using a a metaphor. So I want to help you, I guess, realize that you've probably been in something of a wilderness uh, by, by describing or I guess sharing with you five reasons I believe that we've been in something of a, of a wilderness. The first is that one of the markers of the wilderness in Scripture is that it's an education. A place of learning. A place of discovery. Lessons are taught. Lessons are given. It's a place of insight. It's a place of revelation. It's also a place of, of testing. And if there's any kids left in here, you know that tests don't always yield flattering results. 
sometimes our lack of knowledge is exposed. Sometimes the gaps in our understanding are addressed. And I believe that the desert is a place of education, primarily because it's a place of pain and pressure. And some things can't be learned apart from pain. It's an incredible teacher. We reject it like some crummy substitute. Like, why are you showing Lion King in Spanish class? Where's my real teacher? (laughs) Pain's an incredible teacher. The pressure and the pain that we've experienced, it's real. And it has something to to tell us. Uh, Let me say it this way. This sermon, if it goes well, I'll learn nothing. I'll just go to Lane's house, eat brisket, and think that I'm such a gift to the church. (laughs) What I want to say is when things go well, the only thing you learn is how to forget God. That's what we learn. If you've read your Bible, it's the same lesson over and over again. If it goes well, we go without Him. This bombs this morning, and I mean, there's a full-blown like excavation taking place. Did I eat the right breakfast? What was my motive in preaching? Why did I think that would work? Why did I say yes to preaching here? What's wrong with me? Maybe I'll quit pastoring. What's wrong with Christ church? Maybe it's the hearers. You know what I mean? Full-blown, like, why am I doing this? Who is God? You know, I mean, it just throws you into like a, what am I doing? This is a wilderness if, if school's been in session this last year. And I, I have a feeling school's in session here. There's insight. And it's painful. There's a sifting and the results are, you know, not what we would want to see. The second thing that marks the wilderness in Scripture is that it's a paradox. It's presented as a paradox. On one hand, the wilderness is presented as a place of danger, exposure, where you're subjected to the elements. It's a place of temptation, of rebellion, of lack. It's a place of trials, of testing, of difficulty. It's presented like that. And then on the other hand, it's presented as God's country. Like there's Pharaoh's land, Egypt. There's the promised land. And then there's God's country, the wilderness. It's presented as a place of encounter, of miracles, of provision, of a burning bush, of God speaking and encountering his people, of Sinai, of like a wedding ceremony that takes place in the middle of the desert. So which one is it? 2020. (laughs) This is a mixed bag. I don't know. I mean, how are you doing is like a real question again. And I don't know how to answer it. I mean, sometimes I just walk away from that question. Like, it defies all category. 
this year has defied all categories. Some incredible stuff cropping up in our church. Right alongside of it, some really difficult things cropping up. And the more I travel and talk to pastors, same story everywhere. Just such a mixed bag. The best of times, the worst of times. You know, I've never been so close to my kids. I've never been so close to killing my kids. Same day. And probably they never been so close to my parents, never been so close to killing my parents. Even if it was good for your family, you know that it wasn't good for other families. You've got some like survivor guilt. Even if it was good for your business, you know that other businesses aren't in business. And so you can't really even celebrate it because it's such a mix. Even within your family, you have kids that are doing well with it and others who you're like, this was a bad, bad deal. Even within your own family. It's just such a mix. It's not any one thing, it's all the things. The wilderness is disorienting, and it's disorienting on purpose. Part of the pattern that you're going to see, I guess, that serves for us as an example is it seems in Scripture that there's this pattern that emerges that looks something like this. Location, dislocation, relocation. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And I wish that I had like five easy steps for you to get from location to relocation without some sort of dislocation. I guess I'm making the case for what God does in the middle. I wish there was some way that we could just skip right to the re-words without the d-words. Like, I want a revival without a devival. I'd, I'd like that, you know? And I wish I could tell you that. I, I have that for you. I, I don't. In fact, I have the promise that going to the wilderness is a mandatory field trip. You can't skip it. It's part of the process. It was for the people of God, and it will be for us. When we think of the desert, I don't know, my image is kind of like Aladdin. You can like see for 30 or 40 miles in every direction. And I think about just a flat land where you can see, and, and, and really that's not the desert or the wilderness in scripture. The wilderness in scripture was a rocky, hilly country where you couldn't see out. You could, you didn't have perspective. That, that's, that's Kansas, you know? Can, we just drove through Kansas. It nearly killed me. Like, <laughs> especially at 65 in an RV. I think I was like, last time I drove Kansas, I drove it like 90 to get through that. It's long, it's straight, it's flat. That's what we think of when we think of the desert. But but in actuality, the people of God didn't have perspective. In fact, in Goshen, where they were at, they could see for 30, 40 miles in every direction. But they're disoriented. They can't see very far off. They don't have a sense of where they're headed. 
I think one of the things that has made me feel like this last year has been something of a of a wilderness is is I'm watching this kind of migration happen. Uh, we've lost a number of deer. I mean, everyone who lives in California has thought about living in another state. A few of my friends have had the guts to do it. And we've lost some friends to Florida, Texas, Idaho. Um, yeah, maybe those three states. But then I've watched as people have come to Visalia from San Diego, Portland, major cities. I'm, I'm watching this mass migration take place and trends be accelerated. And I'm thinking, God's in this somehow. It's hard to watch people we love leave. And I don't even like the new guy who's like, why are you sitting there? You're in that so-and-so seat, you know? He laughs at my jokes, you know? <laughs> I don't have time to make new friends. But there, there's something of God in this orientation, disorientation, reorientation, location, dislocation, relocation. There's something going on right now that, that I believe is, is God appointed. The other thing you know about the wilderness is that it's full of temptation. If your year was just full of temptation, you might be in something of a wilderness. And if you're in kind of the recovery community, you know that there are some times where you go looking for temptation. And there are other times where temptation comes looking for you. Where you go looking for trouble. But there are other times where trouble comes looking for you. And in the desert, temptation comes looking for you. Part of the reason that is, is there's nothing about the desert that's appealing to your senses. It doesn't look good, it doesn't taste good, and it certainly doesn't feel good. And so everything that's being presented is some sort of escape. Of course, I'm talking about escaping into all kinds of things, even some sense of control. But it is a place of temptation. We've got a guy in our church, he's, he's, uh, he's really prophetic, and he served us so well during this season, but one of the things that he said to me is, Travis, love's not easily provoked. And I see the enemy taunting, looking to draw people off sides. And the image that came to his mind was of an offensive line, waiting for the snap count, but a defense that's prowling, and looking to cause you to jump off sides, to move before the quarterback says hike. And I just thought, oh, that's my year. I've been provoked. I've jumped off sides. I've been so tempted to move. And I have. The wilderness is full of temptation for the people of God. The wilderness uh, is poorly timed. And the, the, these kind of mandatory field trips to the wilderness, they seem to come on the heels of profound experiences. Like I said, fireworks, you're delivered from 400 years of slavery into some, some wandering. I'm sure the people of God were like, yeah, no, I'm ready, man. I'm ready for the promised land. Or you think about Jesus coming up out of the water, having just been baptized, 30 years of doing, like, God knows what. Like, literally, God knows what. There's not a lot about it. 
And he comes up, the Holy Spirit descends on him, it says he's driven out into the wilderness, led out into the wilderness. It seems to come at an inopportune time. And this is a great way to describe the last year that we've walked through. Everyone's running away from the desert, the wilderness. Trust me, no one's running into it. And it has to be the Holy Spirit that would lead you into a season like this, because we don't choose this. This gets chosen for us. So the question I've been living in is kind of like, why? Why does God like this place? Why does God lead us to this place? I hate this place. I don't want to be here any longer. God, what are you wanting to do in this place so we can get out of this place? This is kind of my thinking most of the time. I'm a horrible speller. Um, I, I don't, I don't totally know why. I have a great memory. I read a lot and I'm a really bad speller. I misspelled the word misspelled when I typed it in. And I was like, that's not right, you know? But there's one word that I never uh, misspell, uh, which is desert. Because some teacher in the first or second grade taught me that the way that's dessert is you just, you want two S's. You want seconds. What makes that word dessert is two S's. And what makes it desert is that you don't want seconds. You want one S of desert, you know? And so I started thinking like, why isn't it the other way around? You know, God seems to want two, two S's in your desert. What is it that makes it desirable to him? Why does he want this? Why is there such thing as a God-appointed wilderness? Why the disorientation? Why the wandering? Such a fat waste of time. So I'm, I'm, I'm only, I'm only 41 and, and I've not walked through the things that you've walked through. And so I just want to humbly, uh, submit to you a few reasons I think the wilderness is necessary uh, in our lives. And again, I submit these to you. I've not seen what you've seen. I've not walked the road you've walked. But I want to show you some things in the book of Exodus to try to sell you on what God's doing in the wilderness so that you can lean into that. So hopefully we can just get this over with. Okay. Three ways to trick God. (laughs) This is a second service. I'm starting to feel like a little looser. And I can see people's faces and so... The first thing uh, is that the the wilderness, the desert place, is really clearly a, a place of preparation. What God seems to want in the wilderness is to prepare us, and He readies us in the wandering. Exodus thirteen seventeen, Pharaoh lets the people go after these ten plagues. God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. They could have gone straight there. 
But God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and, and, and want to return to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. They probably thought they were ready for a fight. They probably thought they were ready for the promised land. But God leads them. Not the easiest route, not the shortest route, not the most direct route, not our route, not the route we would choose. He leads them His way. And He does this to prepare them. They were not ready. If they would have seen some of these things initially, they would have wanted to turn back. And if you continue to read the Exodus story, as they saw things, they wanted to turn back. So, he readies his people in the wilderness. He prepares his people. That's part of the purpose of the wilderness, is to prepare you. There's some other notable grads of like Desert U, Wilderness University. David, prepared, not with a slingshot. He got so good with a slingshot, he took Goliath down. No way. He had a revelation of the nature and the character of God that's unparalleled in the Old Testament. Where did he get that? In the wilderness, staring up at the stars. That's where he got it. Where did John the Baptist get his revelation? In the wilderness. He emerges from the wilderness with the revelation. That's the Lamb of of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he got that revelation in the desert. Jesus returns from the desert, from the wilderness, full of the Holy Spirit, really clear on his mission. A clarity comes. The people of God are prepared in the wilderness. God's preparing something here. It's not over. God never prunes something that he doesn't have a plan for. You burn that up, you rip that out. He doesn't prune anything that he doesn't have a plan for it to produce. There's greater things yet to come. He's preparing something in us. He's preparing something here. That's why we're in the wilderness. In the desert, we learn this. We learn that God's the one who who fights for us. We learn that in the desert. Pharaoh let the people go. And then he he has a change of heart. And he pursues them. And the Israelites, you know, they're going a roundabout way. They're camped right along the Red Sea. They're vulnerable. They're trapped. They're stuck with nowhere to go. And then the world's largest army starts bearing down on them. With the world's most advanced technology. Chariots. Drone war. Drones. The drones. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were, they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. And, and they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? 
Did we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That sounds so rad. That is so hard. Simple in theory. Be still. Okay, cool. Really difficult in application. Have you ever tried it? That trust, trusting God? <laughs> it's, it's tough. When the old enemies pursue us, And we have nothing left to muster. We don't have what it takes. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The people of God weren't soldiers. They were spectators. And they were called to do their soldiering by spectating. Don't march. Whoa. Be still. Be silent. Keep your mouth shut. The Lord will fight for you. Here's Spurgeon. I dare say you will think it a very easy thing to stand still, but it's one of the postures which a Christian soldier learns, not without years of teaching. I find that marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. The apostle seems to hint at this difficulty when he says, stand fast, and then having done all, stand. (laughs) To stand at ease in the midst of tribulation shows a veteran spirit, long experience, and much grace. In thinking about this, I was thinking, man, when we succeed, we tend to share the glory. When we participate in it, we seem to share the victory. Look what we did. No one comes out of the desert going, look what we did. (laughs) You're like, God fought for me. I didn't even want out of this. I'd quit on this. God delivered me. To God alone goes the glory. I noticed as I read Exodus that even our heroes need to be saved. Even the great deliverer, Moses, is going to deliver me. You learn in the wilderness that God fights for you. We learn in the wilderness to trust in divine purpose and that God is at work even in the bitter things. Exodus 15, we read that Moses uh, made Israel set out from the Red Sea where they crossed and they went into the wilderness of Shur. 
They went three days in the wilderness. They found no water. They came to Marah and they couldn't drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people then grumbled against Moses saying, what do we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became uh, sweet. Because we read the the whole Bible with Jesus in mind, looking for the Old Testament to reveal him. We see this log, we see this tree as a picture of the cross. That when the cross of Christ is applied even to the bitter things in life, they can become sweet. And it's in the wilderness that we learn to trust those promises. That we begin to trust divine purpose. And it's the cross of Christ that teaches us that, right? Because what was that? Oh, it's a, it's a Roman torture device that'll turn out for our good and God's glory. It's like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's simple. The God who's silent is actually at work. The God who's hung up and crucified and defeated, he's actually victorious. And we learn this when we look to the cross. And we believe that when the cross is applied, when it's thrown into even what is bitter water, something sweet can come from it, but we have to trust that in the wilderness. We contend for that. Read on with me. Exodus 16. They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people go out and they gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Again, trusting God's word, trusting God's promises, trusting his purpose in the wilderness. We have to, all we have in the wilderness are the promises of God. And the promises of God, I know that when we, when we say the promises of God, you know, you probably think about excess. You probably think about some guy who flies a Learjet with sneakers that he bought from Hudson. And he is, he's promising a hundredfold if you give today. When we think of the promises of God, we think of these big, bombastic promises. And there are those in Scripture. But what I find often is that the promises of God are just enough. There are more than enough promises. But the promises of God in my life are often just enough. I don't know how many times this has happened where Tiff and I get a check. We weren't counting on that check. Came from a person or maybe a refund. And I think to myself, oh, God has moved in our lives, and he has brought to us a nest egg, a treasure chest from which we will now live because we're going to get ahead, tired of being behind. 
And then while driving home from church, you know, your brakes start to grind. Your kid who's supposed to just get their teeth cleaned needs more than a cleaning. I don't want just enough. I don't want daily bread. I want a loaf of bread. I want it sliced. I want it to keep. But we don't get that option in the wilderness, do we? Promises of God are, are just enough. We want God to move. This is my, my story. Maybe it's not yours. We want God to move, turn the heat down. And then often the heat stays the same, but he provides some shade, some place of refuge, some cup of cold water. But I want it out, you know? The promises of God are enough to sustain us, to keep us. Sometimes they're more than enough. Sometimes they're just enough. But they keep us going. I want to respond this morning. Maybe worship team, would you guys come? Is there a worship team? Did it go home? You had, hey, God bless you guys. This is a, they had to listen to this twice. Come on. I want to ask uh, you to stand and I guess own what God's doing uh, in your life before him and before us. Not, no, 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 don't st- sit back down. <laughs> what? Stand back up. No. I want, I want to, I just want to ask because I think we've been so focused on what's going on around us and maybe what they need to do um, that we forgot what God's doing. And I, I know that there are real horizontal implications to everything that's gone on this year, but I want to remind you about your kind of vertical connection with God and what He's doing here in the wilderness And I just want to ask if, if you had a sense when I, when I said that the desert is a place of preparation, that there's pruning that happens, but it, it does have a purpose. If you have a sense that God is preparing you through this wilderness, um, before God would you stand? If I started speaking about being still and trusting God and and allowing Him to fight for you, if that's the lesson you've been learning this year, I just want to invite you to stand and just own that before God. If this year has been about dependence and the Lord's been teaching you to depend because you can't plan, Would you go ahead and stand? If it's been a year about just trusting God's divine purpose, trusting that even the bitter things can become sweet, would you go ahead and stand?
Here we are. Here I am. Would you come and search our hearts, Holy Spirit? See if there's anything that needs to to change. Not the stuff we bring up, but we want you, Holy Spirit, to bring things up. We got a list, but we want to see your list, Lord. We repent for being so focused on our surroundings that we lost sight of what you wanted to do in us. We repent for our grumbling, our complaining. Have your way in us. Have your way in us. Trust your promises in the pain, Lord. We just say with our mouths, we're not going anywhere. Where are we supposed to go? You have the words of life. Who is God but you? Who does this? Who moves like this? Here we are. There's a precedent for this wandering. There's a precedent for this not knowing. We turn our eyes to you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you for your time in the wilderness and what that means to us. Thank you, Jesus, for refusing shortcuts, the temptation to skip the cross. Thank you for trusting the Father and succeeding in all the ways that we failed, Lord. We've failed this year. We've done some C-plus work. We've failed other things. And we thank you for your record. Thank you for your score. Thank you for your standing that we're given. Thank you, Jesus, for providing a meal that we couldn't make. We didn't have the ingredients, Lord. Thank you for the feast you've set before us. Thank you for fighting for us, for rescuing us, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for making a way for the bitter things to become sweet. Lord, we just confess we're bitter, like deep down bitter, like it's leaking out of us. Apply your cross to our lives this morning. Thank you for being enough for this church, for these people. Thanks for sustaining us. Thank you for the great and precious promise of the the Holy Spirit, that deposit. Come and fill this house with your Holy Spirit. Come and fill these people with your Holy Spirit. Sustain us, Lord.